For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you here on a Tuesday evening. Brandon Marcus, your host, and Matt Manaborn has the evening off. And so I went to the bullpen. I'm calling in my ace in the hole. He's the closer. He's the guy that gets it done. He moved all the way to Phoenix just so he could watch a team lose time and time again against the Clippers. And now he's going to get to try and become best friends with Kevin Durant, which is going to be hard. But at least Devin Booker knows that he knows ball. Shane Young, who covers the NBA for Forbes, back on the Ethos Clippers podcast. Shane, how are you, my friend? Oh, my goodness. Let me channel Matt here for a second. Brandon Marcus, how the heck are you? Hell, uh, you know it. what? I think, uh, you know, for me, it's been good. I've been surviving out here in the desert. It's been pretty chilly which is surprising to me. I thought it was always hot. But yeah, man, just watching some decent basketball on some nights. Uh, other nights, it's not great. But, you know, personally, doing great. Just just glad to finally be in a market and cover the league. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I'm super happy for you. You're able to move from covering stuff over in the Midwest um, to yeah. now coming over to Phoenix, which is obviously a huge market, a team that is – Certainly a very popular team with Kevin Durant and Booker and Beal. And, of course, you get to be amongst the Western Conference teams as well. So it's super fun for you. I'm pumped for you. You've been writing great content. And now you have a chance to get yourself at all those home games for the Suns, which should be a lot of fun. Um, You weren't there last night, obviously, because it was a game (laughs) in L.A. But you were there when the Clippers beat Phoenix in Phoenix. Um, so yeah. we're, we're going to talk about last night's game. Uh, so we'll start with that. But before we get there, um, I always start or rather end the show, but I'll start the show this way. If you can rate and review the podcast, always does help us grow the show. Five star rating. If you could drop a review, always helps. You heard Shane. He dropped the mat line. Shane is a loyal listener. Everyone who <laughs> listens to this show, we appreciate it. So Jess, if you're able to do that, five star rating, review the podcast always does help. All right. Let's talk about last night. Um, and we haven't potted, Matt and I haven't, and frankly, there hasn't been Ethos Clippers pod since um, the game against the Pelicans, in which the Clippers had what I thought was their best win of the season, going to New Orleans, winning a game against a team that really had their number. Um, Kawhi and Harden had a rough start, but despite that, the Clippers were able to win the game, and you were really full of positive vibes going to that Laker game. And then, of course, in the Laker game, the um, Clippers just couldn't shoot. They hadn't shot worse than 40% in two months, yet they almost won. Um, I tweeted after the game, just one of those nights, not concerned. And flash forward to last night where we'll start, and the Clippers just completely shot the hell out of the ball. Completely different from what happened against the Lakers. Um, Great offense all around in that ball game. Curious to get your just initial impressions of the way the Clippers looked last night, and then we'll dive deeper into certain players. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think this might have been the first time we've talked since James Harden has been on the team. So yeah. it's uh, it's interesting because, you know, going in, I thought they were I thought they would struggle offensively um, longer than what they did, which was just, you know, five or six games. <laughs> uh, but now, you know, fast forward two months into the trade, I think it's I think today might be exactly two months. I'm not sure. Um, I think it was like early November when that when that deal happened. Correct. Um so, or, or whenever Harden at least made his debut, but still, you know, two months in, it looks so crisp. It looks so awesome for the Clippers, um, especially against the Suns defense, Brandon, that, you know, just from seeing them the last couple of games, like it's just devoid of any resistance at all. Uh, you know, the, the fact that James, uh, Paul and Kawhi could just get into the paint at will almost, um, it, it just, it kind of spoke to the fact that this is what the Clippers envisioned you know, whenever they put the team together and when they made that big deal, um, just just a little bit more on-ball driving juice that they needed. And, you know, just what stuck out to me last night in particular was the fact that they are not scared. They are not petrified. They are not worried at all about uh, challenging the Suns' interior defense. I mean, it was just like downhill attack after downhill attack, uh, mid-range jumper over – uh, outstretched hands, you know, Booker guarding PG. He has he does not have the size for that matchup at all. We know that. We we saw that a couple of years ago in the West Finals. Um, so, you know, I think that is mainly what jumps off the page or jumps off the screen is the size, the uh, the size difference there, and how easily the Clippers can get into their spots of ease and of comfort. Um, it's a lot, it's a hell of a lot easier than the Suns getting into their easy shots or easy spots on the floor, which really has, has been the mid range. And that's kind of the problem with the Suns right now. Yeah. And, uh, you were right. November 6th is when, uh, James Harden made his debut. So just over two months since that mm-hmm. debut. And of course the Clippers lost to the Knicks, the Nets, the Mavs, the Grizzlies and the Nuggets and the sky was falling. And since then, They've really been fantastic. I mean, they've lost just six games since James Harden's been in the lineup. Um, And obviously, they've been on a crazy roll where they've really only lost like one game with Kawhi in the last, I think, two and a half months or not two and a half. It's whatever it is. It's some crazy number. No, it's close to six weeks, I think it is. That uh, five and a half weeks where I think the Kawhi, they've only lost one game with Kawhi in the lineup. And it's interesting because you talk about last night's game and... Uh, there's a lot to talk about. <clears throat> I, The one thing that I want to start with, and I kind of want to go in order a little bit, is mm-hmm. that you and I have talked about Russell Westbrook, obviously, at length on this pod. <clears throat> and no, the cold is not completely gone. So I apologize <laughs> for that one as I take a quick sip of water. Okay, so you heard me. It's like gulp that water down. All right, so we've talked about Westbrook and how he fits with this team. And the main question has been, can you play all four guys at the same time? And the numbers have really shown that it, for some reason it doesn't work. The spacing doesn't seem right. And so last night, a different move from Ty Lu, where it was Harden that was out for Russ in the first quarter, where previously it had been a man that had gone out. And then Harden came in for Russ to start the second. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because something that Matt and I have discussed, and I want to get your take on it as well, it really seems like Ty Lu is making changes way quicker than he used to. He used to talk about that 10-game sample size. Obviously, it took five games for him to move uh, Russ to the bench. And now it really seems like he sees what we see. 
and he mm-hmm. gets it. I mean, P.J. Tucker, he saw what we saw. Just didn't work. The numbers were terrible. And so he took him out of the rotation. Now he sees that the four guys together just really don't seem to work. And so he adjusts pretty quickly after using it a couple of times. So I want to start off with that decision. I want to start off with Ty Lue and your take on Ty Lue and how he's managed this team. Because it really has been remarkable that he was able to get Russ to buy in initially last year. Then he was able to get him to buy into that bench role. Now he's able to get Harden to uh, really buy into this role that he has now. And then he's doing the rotations and he's making quick adjustments. Curious to get your thoughts on that one. Yeah, it really makes you wonder, um, you know, how, you know, how much of a conversation, how deep of a conversation, or I guess how many conversations they had as a, as a team, um, you know, after that early skid in November, whenever Harden joined the team, you know, a common theme you hear now from Ty and everyone is sacrifice and, you know, willingness to commit to the game plan or commit to, uh, you know, what Ty envisions for this team moving forward. So, you know, I think it took maybe a few heart-to-heart conversations with Russ, with, you know, with Harden, with Kawhi, PG, whoever the case. I I feel like PG hasn't really had to sacrifice much because, honestly, he's getting the best type of looks he's had since being a Clipper. So, really, he's the beneficiary here the most, him him, him and Kawhi, which is funny enough. Uh, the, the, the exact thing that Kawhi and Paul have been wanting, the reason they've been wanting to point guard is, is the results that we're seeing now, I guess. So, you know, I, I just think, you know, Ty has a way of galvanizing the locker room and the team in a way that 99% of other coaches really can't. I mean, maybe Spo, maybe, maybe a Rick Carlisle in his heyday, maybe a pop, but it just not a lot of, and Steve Kerr, obviously the Warriors organization, but um, just not a lot of coaches can really get this type of buy-in from from a perennial all-star like Russ, who is seemingly okay now with his role off the bench, which is which is really shocking to me that he is just fine with the, the minute proportion he's getting, especially early on during this experiment. Like he he was not playing that many minutes at all comparatively to what he was as a starter for the Clippers. So that's that's been a pleasant surprise if you're a Clippers fan, um, you know. But you know, going back to, you know, kind of last night and the decision you talked about, I think, you know, he just has, uh, you know, Ty has the complete buy-in from everyone that, that no matter what he does, he can explain and articulate his reasoning to the team. Um, and, you know, we're not behind the scenes. We can't see what the, what that conversation is like, but um, it just does not seem to be a problem. And Brandon, I, I'm curious about your take on this because this is how I feel about the reason that you said that Ty is is making quicker changes now. I think personally it's because for the first time since I guess maybe early or maybe midway through 2021, which would have been Ty's first season, I think for the first time since then he sees a roadmap to getting the number one seed. Not saying that that is something that will happen at the end of the uh, you know mid-April this time around. You know they still have three teams ahead of them, but the fact that they're only three games out of first which is Minnesota currently, I think that, you know, in the in the last couple seasons, there hasn't been a real push for seeding because they knew, hey, we don't have the availability. We don't have the health on our side to be the number one seed. So why are we going to be, you know, making all these decisions? Like, let's just play it out. Let's experiment a little bit more. But I think, you know, Ty is making smarter, more winning-based decisions because he sees that they can win 55 games and be the first seed. I'm glad you brought that up because it's this is one of the first like 
couple, I guess this is like the first week or so where I've actually kind of gotten myself to believe that we should aim higher than just a top four spot because oh, absolutely. before the Clippers were on this crazy run, it was all right, just get out of the play-in. Like that's what I preached at nauseam last year. I'm like, you don't want to be in the play-in. You don't want to get those extra games on your legs. And then you'll get, you'll be toast by the time the actual postseason starts. And you don't want to be fighting for a spot in the first place to even get into that play-in. Um, where now the Clippers were on this huge mm-hmm. run and they're sitting in fourth place in the Western Conference. Granted, they're only a game up on Sacramento as we record, and only a game and a half up on Dallas. But still, they're a team that clearly seems like they're better than those two teams behind them. Um, you can include the Pelicans in there as well. And then there's the drop to the Rockets, Suns, and Lakers. And you're thinking, all right, well, listen, the Clippers can beat Denver. They already have. And they could probably beat OKC. But Let's try and aim now to a top two, top three seed. And to your point, there is that roadmap now. And to go even further on your point, the reason why there is that roadmap is because his players are healthy. And I think what Mm -hmm. Ty sees is that while you have all these guys healthy, you need to capitalize. And he preached, take the regular season seriously. Lawrence Frank preached, take the regular season seriously. And we all wondered... How do you do that when you're going to sit and try and manage guys' minutes? Well, first of all, they haven't really managed the minutes. The Clippers have played their dudes on back-to-backs when they've been healthy. I mean, Kawhi went and played on Sunday and then played on Monday. PG has played in back-to-backs. And they're really valuing the regular season by having guys play. So that's the main point, is that's how you value the regular season. You simply play your guys. And then, like I said, when you're healthy... You want to try and rack up as many wins as possible. And Ty has already been in the point when the playoff um, picture where he's been in that in-season tournament. Or not in-season tournament, rather the, uh, I'm talking about, play-in the tournament. play-in tournament. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he doesn't want to do that anymore. And he wants to win games now. And so he's making changes quicker because he can't afford to go in these long slumps. He needs to make the changes now that he sees. And so credit to him, credit to the entire organization for realizing what it takes to win and win now and get the Clippers in a better position for the postseason. So I'm glad they're doing it. Um, and that's my take on that one, Shane. Yeah, man, it's it's so crazy to me and wild how quickly things can change. And yeah. I say quickly, it's been two months. It's not quick. But, I mean, you know, if you would have brought me on right after the five or six game losing streak, whatever it was, whenever they got hardened, <laughs> like, I mean, I remember you commented on my on my post saying, like, you know, you really think they're going to be sixth or seventh um, in the West? And, you know, let's not say that that still can't be the case. I mean, things could happen. I mean, we're sitting here, let's knock on what I'm yeah. on about injuries and stuff. And really, they're only uh, a game and a half out of above new orleans right yeah i think that i think if i'm reading that right it's yep. a game and a half above new orleans so you know things can change in a hurry in the west but that's kind of my point here is the fact that they're already up to fourth and knocking on the door of third and then you know you got minnesota who i believe is playing the celtics tomorrow if i i think they are so it's like uh, you 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 just never know yeah. so you never know what's going to happen in this in this western conference so the fact that ty is seeing that and not taking this lightly and really taking it seriously as you said and and brand i gotta be honest brandon like the fact that they have dominated you know i guess quote unquote dominated so far um with the with this new lineup is kind of wild yeah i thought it was gonna take a little bit of time but they really hit the ground running once terrence Mann got inserted there in the, into the starting unit and currently the clippers are knocking on the door of a plus eight net rating 
in non-garbage time minutes, which is fourth in the NBA behind only the Celtics, Sixers, and Thunder. So it's even it's even better than Minnesota and Denver. Your two teams that you can look at and say have played the best so far in the regular season in the West. Like, <laughs> I mean, the fact that the Clippers started off that poorly and they're already back here is kind of wild. And it certainly passes the eye test in the way the offense yeah. looks. And I think the most impressive part about this streak, honestly, where they've lost um, just one game with Kawhi in over five weeks is that they're beating good teams. Like this isn't one mm-hmm. of those things where like they're lo- they're beating like bad teams and then losing to good teams, which is they historically had done is just lose to all the good teams. Like, listen, they lost to OKC in Boston, but you and you lose the Lakers just because of a poor shooting night. But look, you beat Miami in there. You beat Memphis when yeah. they had jaw. You beat Phoenix twice. You end up beating Indiana at Indiana. You beat Golden State. You beat Sacramento. You've beaten Denver. Like, you've beaten some good teams in there. And you mentioned Minnesota. Well, look at the end of the week. Sunday, the yeah. Clippers play at Minnesota. And then Tuesday, they host OKC. A massive two games in there for the Clippers. No doubt about that. And if the Clippers were to win those games or even split those games, then all of a sudden, you're looking at them knocking on the door again. Um, let's say Minnesota loses tomorrow to Boston and the Clippers beat Minnesota. Well, hello, that's two losses for Minnesota. And all of a sudden, the Clippers are just one loss behind the Timberwolves. So you never know how quickly things can change. And the Clippers have already shown you that in the standings. They are 13-7 and seven against teams with a winning record. Yeah. Um, that's so much different than the last couple of years where I remember vividly that uh, – I was it. I guess it was last year. Was it last year or the or the last year that Kawhi was healthy in twenty one? One of those years, they just beefed up on on beating the bad teams when they came to, when they came to Staples Center. But then they would go on the road and lose to teams like you know Orlando and Charlotte. It, it was perplexing. Yeah. Um. So that kind of made their record like subpar from based on what we expect. But now this is the roadmap to fifty five wins. Like this is everything that we've talked about in the past. We're like, is this the year the Clippers can finally win 60 games? Like they're not going to hit that record this year. I don't think, but just because of the way they started probably, but you know, that's how you do it. You, you take care of business against the bad teams. And then you win at a, let's say a 45% win rate against the good teams. Yeah. And, and that's how you do it. Like you said, there, there's certainly the roadmap there. And that kind of goes to the Ty Lue point. And a quick note on yesterday's game. I mean, you look, the Clippers shot 67% in the first half. Phoenix shot 51%. And people are wondering, well, can the Clippers still hold on? Like, they're shooting pretty well. Uh, like, is there room for them to actually hold on if Phoenix gets makes a couple more shots and Clippers drop down to something more like 50%? Well, what needed to be also noted was that Phoenix had 16 free throw attempts and three turnovers. Only three turnovers <laughs> in that first half. While the Clippers had eight free throw attempts, so eight fewer free throws. And seven turnovers, so they had four more turnovers. In the second half, Phoenix had 13 free throw attempts, the Clippers had 15, and Phoenix had 11 turnovers, the Clippers had five. So you're wondering, how could the Clippers build the lead? Well, that's how. The Clippers stopped turning over the basketball, they stopped fouling as much as they did in the first half, and then all of a sudden you blow them out. And so it's it's a quick note that I wanted to bring from that game that people are wondering, all right, well, are the Clippers going to rue their chances and they, they wish they would have made those shots earlier. Well, the Clippers offense has just been that good. And to that point, it brings me to this because I'm glad I have you on because one of the main things, Shane, that you have been all on the last three years, four years with this Clippers team is that they oh, do man. not need a point guard. You have been preaching that <laughs> preaching it. Listen, Everyone that's a smart basketball mind that I respect. Justin Wilson has said, listen, you probably don't need that point guard. 
because you're going to have PG and Kawhi the ball in their hands. I think what we learned last year is that PG doesn't want the ball in his hands to initiate the offense as yeah. much. And it seems like if you're looking for a perfect fit, it really seems like James Harden has been that fit. And you don't, you can look at the assist totals and that tells a very small story that you look at the last six games and James Harden has nine plus assists in every single game. And you can go even mm-hmm. further and you can see that he has six or more assists Basically, every single game he's been a clipper. Like, he has just been that damn good as a facilitator, and his chemistry with Zoo is undeniable. But what it really seems like is that this duo in Kawhi and PG needed that dude to initiate the offense and get them into good spots. And it really seems like Harden's been that guy. So, curious if you still believe that with this team, or you really do think that now watching them, Harden is that guy, and they did need that point guard. Great question, and I think you know I think it's a gray area. I don't think it's black and white. Uh, to me, I think both things can be true at the same time. I think that you know when you look back at Lawrence Spring's decisions to bring in the point guards that they did, I still believe that those particular teams did not need Rajon Rondo, Eric Bledsoe, John Wall, whoever. Am I forgetting someone? Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I, you know I still think like those teams didn't need those particular guys to succeed. And um, I still think they would have pretty, pretty much finished where they did or potentially done better if they moved in a different direction. Like that 21 team could have probably, obviously Kawhi got hurt, but they could have finished that same rate if they didn't go get Rondo. Right. So I think, I think back in the day, whenever we were shouting that and, you know, said so me and Justin and, and all the other people that were like, Hey, the offense is, efficient enough when Kawhi and Paul are handing the ball and they're running pick and roll. We don't, why do we need to get the ball back to them and just burn more seconds off the shot clock with a point guard out there running the show? Um, I think that's true. But then to your point on James, like Harden is not the typical guy that I just named. He's not the Rondo Bledsoe wall. Um, even Reggie, obviously Reggie, like he's not those guys. He is just so much more dynamic. And where I was wrong personally is I did not think, I did not believe or have any confidence at all that Brooklyn Nets James Harden or Houston Rockets James Harden, I, I, I tend to say Brooklyn because that's whenever he was, you know, on the slower side. In Houston, he was still really, really fast. You know, in Brooklyn, that speed was kind of dialing down a little bit, and he was more of a facilitator and not taking as many shots. And I think that's the version we're seeing. I was not confident that that Nets version of James Harden was coming back ever. And yeah. – with the Clippers, he is. I think he's better than he was last year in Philly. Um, the numbers probably aren't going to say that because his obviously the scoring's not as as high as it was. Um, but I think I think he's reading the game better and taking better shots um, right now with the Clippers. So the fact that they are getting that 2021 version of Harden um, has proven me wrong about that. So yeah, I think you know this team didn't need those point guards that we that we were constantly talking about. Uh, you know when all this started. But at the same time, like, for, you know, for example, I, I do think those Clippers could have done well and, and, and reached the, the pinnacle that they did with Patrick Beverly. They just kept him on board, right? I think he worked well with those guys, and those guys loved having him around. Um, but this version of James Harden changes the equation quite a bit. He makes them, but he makes them a lot better. Yeah, he clearly raises their floor, and especially what he can do offensively. I mean, his vision's unbelievable, 
And like I mentioned, the chemistry with Zoo, he's turned Zoo into a player that we all knew he yeah. was capable of being. I mean, one thing that Matt and I talked about several podcasts ago is I said, the more and more that you feed your bigs on the offensive end, the more and more they're going to be engaged defensively because they're working their asses off every single offensive possession to get in position in the post. And if they don't get the ball, they're going to be unhappy at times. And that will sometimes look like your defense yeah. will fall apart at times because they won't be as engaged. What Zoo has been doing is he's been great defensively and he's getting feeds offensively. I mean, he even said, I think yesterday, that the one thing about Russ and James is that they reward their bigs. And, yeah. and he made a point to mention that. And it certainly seems like James Harden has unlocked something in Zoo that we hadn't seen as much, but we knew he was capable of. And so you add that in the fact that Harden can be a guy that could not score at all in a quarter. I mean, who would have thought that Harden would be a guy? First of all, Harden's been going from team to team, unhappy, but he's okay not scoring in the first quarter. And then all of a sudden, you look at yesterday, and he scored all 15 of his uh, first half points in the second quarter. And he did it when... PG may, may have not been making a shot or Kawhi may not have been making a shot. Like they're doing a great job of picking up for each other. And it just seems like Harden really is that missing piece to this team. Yeah. I think if you, if you were to list and I was going to save this for, for a little bit later, but you kind of touched on it. I think if you had to list like the top three um, achievements or top three, like uh, biggest storylines and reasons for the Clippers winning at this rate for the season, it's one, the Harden trade two. Kawhi just being the most efficient version of himself, which I don't think is fully related to the Harden piece. I think, you know, I think Kawhi still would have turned into this monster because how many times have we seen it, Brandon? Like every December, January, after he has those first few weeks of trying to get into the rhythm, it's just like clockwork. The the dude just destroys people. Mm -hmm. I remember like in the 2019-20 season, his first year with the Clippers, like, Remember he had that 30 point triple double in Miami and then just went on a crazy tear from there. Like that was in January. <laughs> like it just something about this time of year that he really gets going. Um, but that would be number two is that Kawhi has just been the most efficient version of himself. Number three, you, you, you mentioned it. Ivica Zubats deserves some, some major recognition right now. Like, I don't really know. I don't feel comfortable like saying that he should win X award or Y award or, you know, be on all defense. I mean, you know, there's there's just too many great defensive bigs and too many great defensive players out there to really see that Zoo, you know, un- undoubtedly deserves to be on one of those teams or awards. But um, he deserves some type of, of of spotlight right now because it's it's not even the defense. Like the defense is one thing. He's always been a great defensive stalwart that it seems like 50% of Clippers Twitter just doesn't see or doesn't recognize it, and it's so maddening. So maddening when people say that he should be traded. Hopefully that is dead. Hopefully that is just resting in peace right now. Um, but, you know, for me, I think it's the offense. As, as you said, it's the screen setting. It's the rolling. It's the it's the it's the Gortat screening that, that you don't even see it. Like, you know, setting the screen for the for the guy that's driving down the lane um, so he can get that clear lane to the to the rim and, and score with ease. Um, you know, I, I think his chemistry and cohesion with James Harden has been awesome. But for me, you know, I'm going to make a declaration. I think that zoo and and I'm guessing, I guess I'm saying this to Ty Lue zoo needs about two to three. I'm not asking no notice. I'm not asking for 10 or or 12 more. I'm asking for two or three more post-ups per game for zoo. 
That's it. I mean, you know, if he, and if he starts to succeed more with those, up at the five more game. But we have to get this guy more involved uh, with, the, with the better volume in the half court, especially when things are dying down. Now, if, if the game is more fast-paced and it's not a half-court style game like you're playing the Kings or the Pacers or whoever it may be, I understand. But, you know, when you're playing a team like the Suns, yeah, I think they should – Really let him feast down there. And I have a stat for you. Do you want it? Let's hear it. Wait, actually, you know what? Let's take a quick break and then give me that stat. So give us two seconds and we'll go come right back and we'll talk about that zoo stat. All right, go ahead. Give me that stat. I want to hear it. Awesome. Well, Brandon, I'm going to tell you what, man. Like the fact that when I saw this, you know, it's it's low volume, uh, but still it, it's kind of wild. Avita Zubats has posted up 43 times this year so far. Again, what is that? A little bit more than one a game? Yeah. Um, and he's 17 of 26 in the post when he's taking a shot. That's 65.4%. It is the second highest percentage of any big that has posted up at least 25 times. The second highest behind only Kristaps Porzingis. It's, it's better than Carl Towns on a little bit lower volume. Better than Anthony Davis, better than KD, all these other guys that you think are just efficient machines, which they are. Zubats has developed a touch, and I think he's always had that kind of touch, but uh, it, it's even more polished now. And and you know I don't know if you attribute all of it to the Harden piece, the Harden factor, but man, post Zoo a little bit more. What do you think? Yeah, listen, I, I'm happy with giving him the ball and giving him in a good location, and it, it seems like the Clippers are able to do a good job of getting him that post up and a good spot and that's a crazy stat if i had that damn patrick stat of the day music i would play that for you because that's exactly <laughs> what that was right there um and it's what i think the biggest thing for me honestly um with zoo is that he's closing games and that's something that we had not seen for a long time it seemed like the the i think the biggest benefactor of that hardened trade and people could say you know what why do you trade Batum? Why do you trade Morris? Why do you trade Roku? You trade all these wings. Is it kind of forced Ty Lue's hand into abandoning the small ball and needing that guy in Zoo to play? Because the Clippers don't really have that small ball five. Like they, they could go super small, but PJ Tucker has shown that he's not the answer. And so yeah. it, it, in a hidden way, that trade obviously getting hardened was huge. It gave Zoo more minutes, and he's averaging 28 minutes basically per month the last couple of months. He's averaging 29 so far this month, 28 last month, and he's doing it, and he's been effective in that. Look at this month. He's averaging 13.5 points, 10 rebounds. Last month, 13 points, 10, just over 10 rebounds. The month before that, you know, 12 points and close to 9.5 rebounds. I mean, he's getting minutes and he's producing in those minutes and the Clippers are doing well. And that goes to the end with the the uh, Powell Rangers lineup. Shout out to um, Clips and Dip Pod for that one. I mean, it includes Zoo. Like how often do you hear of a death lineup that includes the center? Like that doesn't happen often. You know, it, it's Norm Powell, PG, Kawhi, Harden, and Zoo. And the Clippers are thriving in that lineup. And so shout out to Zoo for being able to make it in a lineup that is a quote-unquote death lineup. So I think that's all of those points together are just have impressed me really about what Zoo has brought to the table. 
Oh yeah, and, and we're talking about the probably the most unselfish big in the league. I mean, yeah. the dude truly doesn't care how many. I don't think he cares how many touches he gets. Which you know, I think he would voice his opinion to Ty just if things weren't flowing well and he wasn't getting the ball on these rolls and he felt like he was diving for nothing. But man, like you said, the point guards make sure he touches it every so often, every couple of possessions. You know, if if if, if the offense devolves into ISO ball. Um, either a timeout or James or Hardner or somebody will come up and, and redirect and slow things down. And I think you even see Harden sometimes coming up the court like, hey, we, we need to slow it down. Yeah. He'll literally say, Let, let, let's slow it down and um, and get into some good stuff. So, you know, just a little bit more organization and direction that, that, that this team has now. And, and really, I mean, I think they're playing probably the best ball or the second best ball in the Western Conference, depending on how you feel about, um, you know, I don't want to get into a tangent, but I'm really, I'm really confused. Not, I, I'm not even confused. I'm really like uh, up in the air about how, def- how I feel about the defending champs right now. Like, you know, I think Denver's just coasting, you know, winning when they can, <laughs> not really pushing it too far. Um, Cause they know what really matters is health in the end. Um, and I think I would still pick the nuggets in a fully healthy playoff series against the Clippers. But I, I got to tell you, it's no longer, just this decisive because if you would have told me you know before the Harden trade I would have said Denver in four or five right um so now it's like the Clippers make you think like could they beat every team in the West in the series and I think the answer is yes they could yeah I agree and you look at what Zoo has done against Jokic I mean Jokic had a horrendous night the last time they faced him and that's another credit to Zoo. I mean, his defense has just been spectacular against opposing bigs. And that makes me, um, that brings me to my next point. You look at the Pelicans game and the Clippers in that big 24, um, I forget what it was, 24 something run from the nine minute mark of the second um, until the final minute of the first. The defense was spectacular. The Pelicans were five for 24 and they missed eight of nine in the paint, Shane. Eight of nine shots they miss in the paint, and that is the zoo effect and what he's been able to bring to this team and just dominating in the paint. And then you look at the Laker game, and the Clippers shot like absolute dog, you know what, but it was Zoo that was playing well. Clippers not named Zoo were 11 for 32 in the paint. Zoo was the one that was doing well in the paint. The Clippers obviously weren't making very many shots, but Zoo was still being effective. And so if Zoo's able to do this well offensively and obviously contribute what we've seen defensively against guys like Jokic, then yeah, man, the sky's the limit. I mean, having a guy like Zoo at this level, along with what we're seeing, you mentioned in Kawhi and how he is playing out of this world. We've talked about Harden and how good he has been, and his ability to just facilitate and then take his shot. He'll take that sidestep three. He'll get to the cup and draw the foul. We've seen that. And then a guy that, frankly, hasn't been talked about enough is PG and how great he has played. I mean, you are a big PG stan. I mean, he has really shot the absolute you-know-what out of the ball. He's been absolutely spectacular. And so you compare those four guys, and that's a great nucleus, and we haven't even gotten to the part where we start talk about Terrence Mann and his improved shooting, and we talk about Norman Powell. I mean, it is just remarkable what this team is capable of. Yeah, it does also make you think, like, you know, if they've shot this well, I think they're second in the league in percentage right now, second or third. But it's like, you know, we're halfway through the season, so maybe you can kind of say that we have a large enough sample size that this is not going to be a concern. But 
it does leave the door open for okay what if some of these guys especially norm like like because norm has to go down at some point right like does like, he what though these guys do does he because I, I everyone, look at the year that luke Kennard had a couple of years ago where he was shooting 45 percent or so from three why can't norm powell shoot that level when he's getting the looks that he's getting i mean it's not like he's getting tough looks, shane he's getting yeah. wide open shots because of what the offense is doing i mean look at the shots that terrence mann was getting yesterday i mean every single time we saw that pick and roll harden would drive or he would give the ball to zoo and then the defense would collapse on zoo and zoo has shown that his hands have been incredible he'd get that pass he'd be able to hold on to the ball and he kicked out to man a couple of times for an open three on the same side and so if you do that with powell on the other side i mean it, it, you're getting good looks and so why can't he continue to shoot this well yeah, it's a good point. Like the the looks are always going to be there, and let you know, especially if everyone's healthy, the looks are definitely going to be there for for him and and the um the the supplemental talent instead of you know the stars. Like the stars just have to do the creation. That's all they have to do is create. Um, and you know, I am curious. Like if 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 Kawhi, you know, because you mentioned him, I, I'm curious if Kawhi is like cool with just not being the primary. I'm, I guess he's cool with winning first and foremost. So, but. You know, he just doesn't do a lot of pick and roll creation as much as he used to now. You're right. So he's kind of kind of catching on the move and getting to his spots quicker. Now, instead of um, I think for the first couple of years of him and Zoo, we saw that connection kind of building. And we still see Zoo screening for Kawhi. I don't want to make it sound like he's not. But, you know, it just I, I would love to pick Kawhi's brain on is this the role that he would want over what we saw in 2019, 2021, 20, you know, um, kind of no, you know, is this the better balance for him? Uh, I think he would say yes. Like he, he, he would much rather be a play finisher than a creator. Yeah, I think so too. I, I just think that where he's getting the ball um, and how the offense is running, it just feels like the Clippers are generating good looks and they're generating a lot of good open looks from three and their stars are being able to find their spots and not having to, create to get to those spots i mean you'll see you'll certainly see iso ball no doubt about that i mean there are times Mm -hmm. where Kawhi gets the ball on the wing and he's going to hold the ball for 10 seconds until he generates a good look or he did it yesterday i think where he passed a pg with like three seconds on the shot clock and they got a garbage shot off like that will happen from time to time but for the most part shane he's getting pretty good looks yeah and uh you know it it is kind of a shame that people aren't gonna really believe in them and, and you know or and believe in James Harden I should say until he succeeds in the playoff series which you know like it is wild you know we talk about like you know Harden and uh such a different context of a team he's on versus what he was in in Philly and Brooklyn uh you know injured Brooklyn too without Kyrie there that in that series but um but then you know in Houston he was really the only um dynamic creator there when chris started getting older and hurt so you know this is this is his best chance to to uh shut those people up but you know it it seems like every single year his season ends with a two for 12 two for 15 shooting night um so hey man if if this is this is going to be it but that's that's months down the road just had to point that out yeah it's he's in a different role than he has been in the past i mean he's the number three Mm -hmm. option offensively so if he doesn't have a good shooting night he could still impact in other ways which he's been able to do um so it's just one of those things where the the uh, that's unfair to even judge and who knows Mm -hmm. we're like you said we're far away from that point but this is certainly, I mean, the best stretch we've seen from Kawhi and PG, and it's because of Harden and what they've been able to do. Um, now, I do want to mention that Terrence Mann 
has been another reason why the Clippers have really been able to succeed in the last couple of ball games, and why they have done well is that he's been able to start hitting threes. I mean, through December 31st of 2023, and I'm going off of Justin Russo, I did this research, fly by night on Twitter, man was shooting 19.5% from three, 15 for 77. Now, since then, he is, I believe, 10 for his last 18 from three. And we've said on this podcast a couple of podcasts ago, I said, you got you got to hold on. Trust Terrence Mann. He's shown enough. And I know if you listen to this podcast all the time, I apologize for repeating myself. But there are some people that, that come in here and there, here and there and don't listen to every pod. And with T-Man, he's unlocking another part of this offense that, frankly, Shane, if T-Man is hitting those shots and Norm Powell is getting the looks he's getting, along with what Zoo, Harden, PG, and Kawhi are doing, I don't know how you stop this team, man. I just don't yeah. know how you stop them. Because he is the, uh, you know, just because it's the team that I'm around now, he is the Josh Okogie of the offense mm-hmm. where teams, are, if they have to choose, they are going to give him the looks versus giving Harden any airspace versus letting Kawhi catch the ball uh, closer than, you know, 20 feet in, which is the only way I, I wrote about that when I wrote about Kawhi, the only way to really stop him or, or contain Kawhi, you have to make him work from 25 feet in or 25 feet out. I should say like, you know, if he catches at the free throw line, you're pretty much done because you are going to, you're probably going to bring help and that's going to open up a floodgate. Um, but you know, with, with Terrence Mann parked in the corner or in that dunker spot, if you come off of him to help in any direction, it could even be a hardened Zoo pick and roll, and you send maybe uh, the low man over to step in front of, of, of Zoo when he's rolling. Like, in all likelihood, that low man's coming off of Terrence Mann, right? So th- then it's up to Zoo to make that read, which he will 90% of the time, it seems now, um, way better than he did in the past under Doc Rivers because he was still young. But, um, you know, now – He's hitting Terrence, and Terrence is, is taking practice shots. And that's what Josh Okoge misses routinely for the Suns and why he's unplayable. Not only is Terrence Mann not unplayable, the dude is integral. Like, he's, he's crucial to what they do. Um, and he's in their, you know, n- not the death lineup like you mentioned with Powell, but, I mean, <laughs> the, the numbers with, with Terrence Mann in those uh, around the big four are pretty damn good as well. So, I think, um, you know, like you said, if he's finding his rhythm and he's actually shooting lights out from three, which, you know, I, I think we can both say that will not be the he he will cool down. it. He will cool down to a certain degree. Like he's going to probably normalize down to like a, a 38 to 40 percent wide open shooter. Um, but even then, that's a huge win. And that's something the Suns wish they had. If Terrence Mann was on the Suns, I think a lot of the problems we see would be would be uh, fixed or mitigated. And it's worth noting that you look at Terrence Mann's career, and so far this season, he's shooting 26% from three. Last year, he was at 38.9. The year before that, 36.5. The year before that, 41.8. The year before that, 35%. So even if you take an average of all of those, play at about 37 38%, I mean, yeah. that's pretty damn good. And he's at 26%, which means he still has a ways to go to even get close to that which means you could see him continue to stay hot as it starts to normalize and have po- that positive regression. And, and it, it's actually it's so interesting too when you talk about these these three and D or these these guys that are expected to 
be just terrific defenders and then hit the occasional open shot or hit or hit the shots that you're supposed to hit mm-hmm. when, when no one is in the vicinity of you because that's the threes that they can practice. Like, you know, like I, I always laugh, like, you know, Harden, Kawhi, and Paul taking these, um, you know, going through these uh, pregame routines and warm-ups. You know, for the most part, you know, when when they when they have a, a rebounder, like they're taking open threes, and it's like, yeah, of course they're going to hit all of these. But you know, Terrence, when he does his pregame routines and he's hitting these open shots, like that's exactly what he's getting in the game. So, really, I mean, credit to the work that he's done over the last few years on a shot. Uh, if this was three years ago, four years ago, we would not even have any hope of him knocking these down. But um, the, you know, the fact that he is 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 you know, paying dividends for the offense and also like his driving kit or like his drive game after closeouts. Um, I don't think defenses are going to hard close on Terrence, but if they do, um, he, you know, I think it's to the point where I do trust that he could attack an unbalanced floor like that and make a play. Yeah. I mean, for sure. If they go and they try and close him out, he blows past them as he drives the baseline or attacks mm-hmm. the paint. All of a sudden it's one or two extra passes and you've got a PG open three or you've got a Kawhi open three. Like that's all it takes. So that, that's that, the next that, that's the next evolution once teams yeah. start closing on them. Yeah, yeah. but th- that's the fact of the matter is that we know he's capable of doing it, and it it's a hell of a lot different to have a Norm Powell or a Terrence Mann out there than a guy like Russell Westbrook who's not as reliable from three, and he's made some. I mean, Westbrook has certainly done the job that he's needed to do. He comes in, gets assists, he feeds Zoo, he's tough defensively, great rebounder, gets a couple of steals now every game. He comes in and he's playing his role. But you look at those six guys. In Powell, Man, Zoo, Kawhi, PG, and uh, Harden, and you've got six dangerous dudes, and they showed mm-hmm. in the game against the Pelicans, and they showed the game last night why they they can be so efficient and so deadly. I mean, you look up and down, and the Clippers had every single player who started last night shoot over fifty percent, and if you can have those types of nights, you're gonna win every single time, and that's you just look chalk up that Laker game. Straight up to the just bad, bad yeah. shooting night. I mean, the Clippers just—they were getting great open looks on threes, and they were still up at four at half, despite the Lakers shooting fifty percent, and they just still just didn't win that game. But you can see why the process is there and why it's so repeatable. Yeah, good thing for them—they won't have to see the Lakers in the playoffs at all. <laughs> I mean, I just—I have lost faith in the Lakers. That's for a different day, different topic, but. Uh, you know, the team that they somewhat have struggled against, uh, you know, not even struggled. They, they've been in both of those games that came down to the wire, one early in the season and the other um, just the other day. But um, it is funny, though, that the Lakers seemingly can beat the Clippers now um, after going on, what, a 10-game losing streak against them. But now it's the year that's not going to matter. <laughs> it is funny how the tables turn there. I still think the, the Lakers will make a trade, um, but we won't waste our space on that one. I think that they will yeah. make a trade. But they have those bigs. They have long athletic I, dudes that can defend the Clippers. So, yeah. listen, again, it's one of those nights. And it's not like, listen, the defense was good at times by the Lakers, but the Clippers missed a lot of shots. And so yeah. it, for them to have that performance, at least against the Lakers as opposed to the Pelicans, much rather have that because of two reasons. Number one, you had not beaten the Pelicans under Ty Lue, so you get that monkey off your back and show you can do it on the road. And um, also what you can do is you have a game the next night after losing to the Lakers. And so the Clippers were able to quickly erase that one from their memory and put together that amazing performance against the Suns. So there's a couple of reasons why I thought it was fine that it worked out the way it did. I was really disappointed that we didn't see Kawhi out there for the December 23rd Celtics matchup mm-hmm. because yeah. 
like you talked about top, you know, because the reason I just thought about that is because you mentioned the top six, and I think you could argue that I, I still think Boston has the best top six, but I think you can argue that the Clippers have the second best top six rotation pieces in the league when you include Terrence or Norm, whoever you want to say, and then you yeah. you extend that to top seven, then it probably is the Clippers because you don't you don't probably trust the seventh guy on the Celtics as much, so. You know, but they do score off on, I believe, the 27th in Boston. So let's just hope that we get uh, both sides healthy for that go around. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I quickly want to, um, we mentioned, obviously, we've talked about T-Man and obviously we talked about Harden and Zoo and Kawhi and PG. We quickly touched on Powell. I want to touch on him one more time. Um, I want to mention that you look at that Pelicans game. He was a plus 36 in 25 minutes. And we talked about that Powell Rangers lineup and how he's just getting so many good looks. It, in a way, he really feels like that missing shooter the Clippers have been looking for. I mean, we talked about the point guard position earlier and how the Clippers need that point guard, but you've had guys like Luke Kennard. You've had guys like Lou Williams. You've had dudes that can knock down threes. It just feels like Powell's a little bit different in that he's really coming through every fourth quarter, and it just feels like he's that perfect dude to just set his feet and fire. And we talked about last podcast, how he's admitted to having a different role than what he's used to. And he's okay with it. And it just seems like, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Norm Powell. Cause you haven't really talked about him much on this pod on yeah. his play this season and the type of player he's become and how his role has changed. You know, you, you did bring him Lou Williams and it's always fascinating to hear that because Lou was someone that could get, just it, it just seemingly get anywhere he wanted whenever things got tight and got you know whether it was free throws off of um, getting people up in the air or whatever the case was but he, you know he got to the rim a little bit he wasn't the fastest guy but um, it just that does remind me of Norm you know when things are dead when when it's a little bit stagnant let him either space the floor out for you or drive off closeouts and he's dynamic at attacking off closeouts I mean. Like that guy can get to the rim um, at any time in, on, in those situations and it's getting to the foul line. You know, he doesn't average like a lot of attempts uh, like, you know, cause he's not playing as many minutes as like the stars. Um, but I mean, I feel like whenever they do need to calm things down and get to the line, he's the one that can do it. Um, he just has that zip and that speed to, to be able to get there. Um, but you know, what, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, Norm, I kind of like I I would say I have to eat crow on this because oh here it comes hand, I was gonna bring it up here it comes I was gonna bring up the Eric Gordon deal yes I think he has replaced Eric Gordon and you know if you're if you're going to uh, cut if you're gonna not pay the tax to keep Eric Gordon which you know I didn't agree with at the time and hey I, I'm of the belief that a team can always use shooting there's you can never have enough. But if you tell me that Norm Powell is going to play at this level for this many minutes and be this critical to what they do, then yeah, it's okay leaving Eric Gordon uh, off to the side. So there it is. Know, I got, I got to, I got to say sorry to people on that one. I was going to bring it up. Um, I was thinking about it earlier <laughs> today when I knew you were going to be on the podcast. I was like, all right, how long do I wait to bring up um, the Eric Gordon thing? And I'd actually, luck, for, there's I'd... still games that 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 I can see where. God, if you just had that a little bit more spacing, which they have, the Clippers have enough of it right now. But 
Man, I just, I, I just always love what Eric Gordon brings to the table because yeah, people but do he, respect the hell out of him from 30 feet. He just wouldn't – yes, but at the same time, he just wouldn't fit in this team. Like it, There are mm-hmm. too many pieces at times, and in this rotation, I just don't know where he would make the most sense. And the Clippers did a good job of getting rid of him knowing that they didn't need that piece – and they had obviously all this shooting even more so, and they had Batum and Rocco and Marcus Morris. They had those guys, but they just had too many dudes last year that really were doing the same thing. And yeah. uh, while I know you love Eric Gordon, it, it just and listen, the trade was stupid. Cam Whitmore's turned out to be pretty decent, which everyone knew was going to be the case. <laughs> so to go drop down ten spots and to take Eric Gordon when you could have had Cam Whitmore to try and develop, sure. That obviously is not ideal, but at the same time, like you didn't know it was going to happen last year, and so I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't going to spend too long on it. But yes, yeah. the Norm Powell and, has and, been know, that dude. We didn't know like the heart, the whole Harden thing really right. wasn't even a, a thought, right? Right? Like, right? Not when they made the decision, I don't think the Harden thing was even a thought. I could be wrong on that, but it's possible. Um, it, was, it was just a matter of like the whole Russ piece, which yeah. You know, you kind of like, for me, you know, whenever the Clippers have their starters out there, I kind of forget Russ is even on the team until he comes in. He's the energizer bunny. So, yeah, you're, you're right. They just have a lot of dudes. So now simplifying the rotation, um, giving Terrence a bigger role, because you do fear that if Eric was on the team, like, you know, you wonder how many minutes all these guys would get. Yeah, I just don't think Eric Gordon's as good of a defender either. Um, oh, and, not and, anymore. There's yeah. like ancient right now. Yeah, so, and no. so the Clippers need guys who can play defense. Um, the last thing I want to bring up, because we've got, we're going long on this one. It always tends to be the case when you and I uh, catch up. Um, the backup center role. It feels like mm-hmm. they need to, to make the transition back to Plumlee. But they're playing yeah. really well. And Ty Lewis said that Plum has come to him and said, mm-hmm. I'm not going to mess up a good thing. But we've now seen several games in a row where Daniel Tice isn't really bringing a whole lot to this backup mm-hmm. unit. Um, how long until you go to Plumley, And how long of a leash do you give it if it goes poorly with Plumley? Um, I don't anticipate it going poorly because I think he'd be a good facilitator. I think his passing will certainly help the second unit. Um he doesn't bring that ability to space the floor as much as a guy like Tice would, but yeah. it really feels like in those limited minutes, it'd be nice to have Plumlee instead of Tice. What are your thoughts based on what you saw last night? Yeah, I'm pretty like, I'm actually on the fence, but, but historically I've always been like on the side of why do you mess up something that's working? Yeah. And I think I'm going to stick on that side. Like, you know, I just don't see a reason unless, uh, you know, you have people on the team saying, hey, we need to give Mace more of a shot or we need to put Mace back in here. Um, Daniel, we love what you've done for us for 25 games, but, you know, um, let, let's transition back. I don't think I would do it until, you know, they lose a few, a few games if that happens, like a few games in a row or something. I, I don't know. For me, I'm just always, like, hesitant to change something that's working well. That's just how that – been, that's been how I've been wired. So, yeah. But I do agree, like, Mason just – so so awesome as a passer that it's hard not to have that itch to do it yeah it's it's tough because Plumlee was great last year but like you said like do you mess up a good thing and if so when I don't know because you don't want to have to go on those long losing streaks and frankly I don't know if the Clippers team will go on a long losing streak if they stay healthy I mean if they have an injury totally different story Um, things can change in a heartbeat listen we're on cloud nine right now all it takes is one injury, and we've seen it happen year after year after year. But in the meantime, we have to treat this team as if it's going to be healthy. 
and and with Tice and with Plumley, I guess right now we'll see what happens. I mean, if you keep if it turns out to be really bad, I think you can make the change. But if Plumley's okay, slowly getting acclimated, then maybe it's something you do after the All Star break, or it's something you do a little bit before the All Star break. Um, and maybe, it very well could be it very well could be something that happens in practice where yeah. it's just clear that Mace is jumping off the page, uh, like yeah, like just thriving with, with the units he's in and, and ties is probably not. And that's how they make the change. It doesn't necessarily have to be a game thing. Yeah. It's a good call. And just see how he's developing and the Ty Lue saying, listen, it's time. I've seen what he's able to do. So now we'll see what the Clippers are able to do because they're going to get Toronto tomorrow night um, on the second game of back to back because they're playing the Lakers. Emmanuel right now. quickly. Yep. They're playing the Lakers as we're recording this. So that Siaka matchup will certainly be interesting um, against a Clippers team that is a little bit bigger. I mean, they're starting Thaddeus mm-hmm. Young tonight. So Thaddeus Young and Siakam <laughs> versus uh, Kawhi and Zoo will certainly be interesting. And then, of course, you have Quickly versus Harden. Um, Scotty Barnes has been fantastic. The Toronto team that has a little bit of a bench with Dennis Schroeder and Chris Boucher, they've got some dudes they can go to. But it'll be a second night of a back-to-back, which will certainly be difficult, I imagine, for the Raptors against the Clippers team at home. And then at Memphis who got a win tonight against Dallas. Big time win. I don't anticipate them showing that I'm going to fight every single night. Um, Marcus Smart got hurt in that game, so if that's something that he has to miss a game or two, then it's really just the Desmond Bain show, unless Jaron Jackson can come back from his injury. Then you face Minnesota and OKC, so a really big stretch coming up. Um, The next podcast, most likely, as my voice starts to go out, um, will (laughs) probably be... Um, after Sunday's game against Minnesota, but we'll see if maybe Matt and I can squeeze one in on Is Saturday. Sunday a matinee. Sunday's at four at Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. So it's so it's not okay. no, it's not. It's an evening game, in Minnesota. Um, the next matinee is against Brooklyn on uh, January twenty yeah. first at home, and then the Clippers don't have another one of those until Detroit, which is a that'll probably be a win no matter what. So. It's fine. We'll see how it goes. But, yeah, big games. Toronto, Monite, then Memphis, Minnesota, OKC. Um, we'll certainly have a couple podcasts for you in the next couple of weeks. But, of course, Shane, thank you, buddy. I appreciate you filling in. Um, you can read Shane's stuff at Forbes. You can follow him on Twitter slash X at YoungMBA. Shane, always appreciate you hopping on, man. Awesome, Brandon. Thanks for having me. So, for Shane, I am Brandon. Remember, of course, you can always rate, review the podcast. Give us that five-star rating. Review the podcast as well. Follow me on X at BD Marcus. Shane at Young MBA. Of course, you can follow Matt Mattawarren at Matt Mattawarren as well. So, until next time, he's Shane. I'm Brandon. And go Clips. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.